What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the PFN Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Kyle Yates, and I'm your host. I can be found on Twitter at KyleYNFL. I'm joined here today by Kyle Soppy. He can be found on Twitter at Kyle Soppy PFN, and that is Derek Tate. He can be found on Twitter at Derek Tate NFL. Derek, I'll come back to you in a second. Soppy, how are we doing here today on this fine Monday morning? Doing good, but I'm kind of preparing for a week without football. I'm not thrilled about that. We got the week between Championship Sunday and the Super Bowl here. So we're going to we're gonna give the people a podcast here, give you some time, give you something to listen to. We will have you covered on everything Super Bowl related on the website. So make sure to check that out. That comes across as Pro Bowl slander, and I won't stand for that. Uh, yeah, Derek, you're darn right. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, uh, my wife was asking about like the Pro Bowl. She saw the commercial as she was watching the sure. game, and she was like, oh, that looks like it's going to be awesome. That looks like it's going to be great. And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> and was trying to explain to her the like the rationale of why an all-star game featuring the, the league's best players is actually not all that worth watching, yeah. but it didn't really click. Derek, how are you today? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm, I'm kind of sad that Antoine Winfield Jr. will not be participating in the Pro Bowl festivities because he was ousted in favor of Buda Baker. But, you know, he was named a first team all pro, which is a little bit more important when it comes to contract negotiations. I'm all right. I will not be tuning into the Pro Bowl, unfortunately. All right, let's talk about some actually good football, which was what we had on the TV yesterday. I did want to, before we move into some fantasy football discussion, I did want to at least stop, pause, take a look back at one of the biggest weekends of football of the entire year here and talk about some takeaways in some fantastic games that we had on the TV. Obviously, the Chiefs defeating the Ravens and then in a massive, massive comeback, the San Francisco 49ers moving on to the Super Bowl over the Detroit Lions. So, Sapi, I'll send this to you first. Just some takeaways from this Sunday's games, this Sunday's action. What stood out to you? Yeah, it's kind of consistent with what we've seen during the season, but I and I'm as guilty as anybody trying to pigeonhole a wide receiver two into fantasy value. Like we've seen it all year. It's like, oh yeah, the number two for Patrick Mahomes. He's got to be worth it. He's going to be seeing targets. Three out of these four teams that we saw playing on Sunday really don't have one. Like I, I understand the 49ers. They've got a contest to who's good to wide receiver one, wide receiver two, but the Ravens. Wide receiver two, not really a thing. They go to the tight end, and you've got Zay Flowers there. We'll talk about Zay Flowers, I'm sure, in some capacity. But then the other two teams, really not looking for a wide receiver two. So I think what I'm learning here is that teams don't need that to succeed at a high level. So I'm not going to force it in 2024 and say that a team needs to have a wide receiver two, even if I trust the quarterback. Really, really unfortunate for Zay Flowers. Watching that and right, reaching nice. out to extend... <laughs> I. I can't put that on Zay Flowers, in my opinion. Like, that is him just trying to make a play, trying to get his team to the Super Bowl. It's a fantastic defensive play by, was it Legereus Sneed, I believe? Like, Sneed, yeah. fantastic defensive play there to ultimately determine the outcome of that game. Yeah. Derek, what stood out to you just watching those games? Championship DNA is a thing. And we kind of saw these two franchises that are looking to get over the hump and take the next step. The Detroit Lions never being to a Super Bowl in their entire franchise history. And you just kind of watch things begin to unravel. It's like a drop pass here and then a weird dropped interception that bounces off That's of a defender's yeah. face and lands in the hands of Brandon Ayuk. Then an uncharacteristic weird fumble where I think Jameer Gibbs went to the wrong side. And then you just kind of watch it all unravel, then fumbles, and then even a, a beautiful punt that's, you know, takes a Detroit bounce, right. and then a player catches it and steps into the end zone and, you know, prevents the 49ers from being backed up. It's just like, and then Dan Campbell, I understand that his DNA all season long has been to be aggressive, right? We're going to go take your heart. At times, you got to try to fight your own temptations, and he couldn't do so. And, 
decided to pass on a field goal, go for it on like what fourth and two, fourth and three, didn't get it, and kind of the rest is history. Put them behind. Niners go on and score and punch their way to the to the Super Bowl. But then, on the flip side, guys, I, I don't know what we're going to do about Patrick Mahomes. Um, it, it seems like we're we're firmly in that Patrick Mahomes era. This dude has yeah. w- went through Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. It sometimes it's not you don't require greatness to or like an all time performance to get to the next level. But sometimes it's just about limiting mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it felt as if when the Ravens got behind early, Lamar started to press, and, and they're just some uncharacteristic uncharacteristic misses. And it wasn't all his fault. Zay Flowers trying to make a play, get in the end zone. It seems as if the Ravens, they lost that psychological battle because they made a, a handful of like uncommon errors. And some of them just out of pure frustration. I think that last interception, even though you could argue there was DPI on it, it was a poor decision by Lamar Jackson compounded by say flowers fumble and and just other turnovers that you can't commit against a team like the Kansas city chiefs. But there is just something right now, guys, about when you see number 15 on the other side and you got to try to knock that man off his pedestal, it feels like Tom Brady. It feels like Michael Jordan. He strikes fear into the hearts of his opponents and they make uncharacteristic mistakes. Yeah, you just got to give it up to Patrick Mahomes, his fourth Super Bowl appearance in his sixth starting season. It's it's unheard of. It truly is ridiculous what he's able to do, and it feels like very like if you're playing a quarterback, you're playing in the AFC. It's like what's the point? What's the point right now? Like Josh Allen yeah. cannot get past Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and this was the year. This was I be- firmly believe this was the year based on all of the lack of receiving weapons, the amount of drops that the Kansas City Chiefs had, the dysfunction on offense through the first part of the year, and then seemingly getting these guys, Rasheed Rice takes a step forward. They're utilizing Isaiah Pacheco, running him on curl routes, lined up out wide, like getting him involved as a receiver out of the backfield. Like this was the year if you were going to take that step forward and knock, you said, off that pedestal, knock Mahomes off that pedestal, this was the year to do it. And you still could not do it, even though the Baltimore Ravens, that defense did a fantastic job in the second half. They did a fantastic job in the second half, but yet limiting those mistakes and and staying true to identity too. Sapia, before we move on from this discussion, one of the big things that stood out to me was Baltimore refusing to run the football. Like you said, every single time, this is 17 to seven. This is not 24 to seven. This is not 28 to seven. This game is still very much in hand in Baltimore. Every single time that Lamar took that snap, I was like, all right, here we go. They're going to hand it off. They're going to hand. Nope. Shotgun pass. They're going to hand it off. Nope. Shotgun pass. Like every single time was a passing play. Do you believe that that ultimately played a, a pivotal key role in them potentially or in them losing that game ultimately? Yeah, I think of course it did. And you talk about Campbell being kind of resistant to change and Munkin was very much the same way. I think it, none of us think the Baltimore Ravens right now, healthy, have a great running back on their roster. Keaton Mitchell might be good. J.K. Dobbins, who knows? Gus Edwards isn't elite, isn't a game winner or anything like that. So, But that's not the quality of carry. It's the respect that that would demand from the Chiefs in this game. Like you said, it's a close game. If this is a two or three score game for the most part and you, you know, you got to force the issue, things like that, I get it. But that's not where we were. You, if, the pass game was going to work if they were respecting the run game. They respected Lamar to a degree, but even his rushing numbers declined as the game went on because 
Kansas City didn't care. They were going to put a spy, and then they were going to go in coverage because they were not going to run the ball. And once they know that, you're in trouble. Lamar's great. He's not Patrick Mahomes when it comes to a passer. I think we can all agree on that. So he's not going to be able to pick you apart the way Mahomes would be in a one-dimensional kind of offense. So once we got to that, Baltimore was swimming upstream. It's crazy that we went from Baltimore running the football, running the football, barely throwing the football, to then right, now to the too opposite. far the other direction where they completely right. forgot about the run game. Derek, you had thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, we saw very little, if no, zone reads. Things to put stress on the edge rushers, right? And, and if you are trying to clog the lanes, and, and Spags did a great job of the pregame Phenomenal plan, defensive. but you didn't force yep. Spagnola. You didn't put pressure and dictate the terms with your own aggressiveness running the football. And guys, I just worry that as great as Lamar Jackson has been, and we've seen the development as a passer, and I think that he had, even though he had a great 2019, I thought he was miles better this season. It's just dominant. Mm -hmm. The game looked easy to him. It slowed down in every facet. But this is a legacy game. And, yeah, I expect Lamar to come back and use this as motivation, but you don't know if you're ever going to get back to this point. And who's to say that Kansas City Chiefs don't get That's better the yeah. in the future? <laughs> right. And this was your opportunity. And Lamar, with an opportunity to cement his legacy and really try to get on even playing field or as close as you could with Patrick Mahomes moving forward, it was a missed opportunity. And Lamar, I, I'm not going to say he didn't show up, but he certainly played below his normal high standards. And I just worry that this could be kind of a career-defining legacy loss in the postseason for Lamar Jackson. Only time will tell, but it certainly concerns me because he wasn't great in this spot. And it looks like in the AFC moving forward, you're going to have to see number 15 if you plan to get to the Super Bowl. So we'll see. Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl. Yet again, a rematch from 2020. We will see how this all plays out. I will be in Vegas next week. Radio Row PFN will be covering the event leading into it. So make sure, like Zoppy said at the beginning, to stay tuned to ProFootballNetwork.com. We're going to have you covered going into Super Bowl 58. Guys, there is just one NFL game left this year, and you are going to want to get in on the action. There's no better place than ESPN Bet. Secure $250 in bonus bets by signing up with the link in the episode description and use the promo code PFN, and you will instantly have $200 in bonus bets in your account, plus another $50 within 24 hours. You must be physically present in one of the 17 states that legally have ESPN bet for bonuses, 21 years or older, and present in participating states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Additionally, if you are walking out of your fantasy football season as a champion, make sure that you go over to pfnmerch.com and get yourself some fantastic merchandise to show off your fantasy prowess here. pfnmerch.com, everything you need here to showcase your fantasy title. All right, let's get into... We're continuing this series here. We talked about some running backs uh, on a, a podcast a couple weeks ago, early 2024, way too early, <laughs> 2024 running back rankings. We talked some wide receivers last week, had some spirited discussions there. Let's continue that here. Took, taking a look at the quarterback and tight end landscape here. So let's focus in on the quarterbacks here. Soppy, we're highlighting your rankings going into 2024. Go ahead and run through just the names here for me at the quarterback position, 12 through 7. Yeah, and there's a lot of good ones at the position here, so stay tuned for updates when it comes to these. But we will start with 12, Justin Herbert, 11, Joe Burrow, 10, Tua, 9, Trevor Lawrence, 8, Kyler Murray, 7, Justin Fields. 
All right, let's start the conversation here at Justin Herbert right there at 12, because there is the potential that we see. We've seen this with Herbert. Like we see the potential Jeez. for him to be this top five fantasy quarterback, like just consistent week in and week out. We see it. We see the flashes there. But then we also have seen this past year specifically some of those down performances and the ability to not necessarily crush your fantasy lineup, but not necessarily help it either. Jim Harbaugh coming in as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Sapi, you put an out an article over on PFNFantasy.com taking a look at what this means for fantasy football, but let's talk about it here on the podcast. How should we be viewing Justin Herbert? Does, that, does the Harbaugh hire move him at all in the rankings for you going into next year? I think it can only help him, right? I mean, the upside is still there. The downside, we we need this team to stay healthy around him. We know there's talent. We were talking Mike Williams was banged up. Josh Palmer got hurt. Quentin Johnston, Quentin Johnston, his way, basically out of the league as a rookie. He wasn't, not out of the league, a little, you know, premature there. But he didn't show well, that's for sure. Austin Eckler running like he had a piano on his back. Like, he didn't get much help here. So maybe Jim Harbaugh can build things around him here. The deep numbers for Justin Herbert fell off a cliff, but with all those injuries, how could they not? Keenan Allen had a great year, and then he gets banged up and misses the last month. So I'm optimistic for Herbert, but I can't possibly put him in the top tier, maybe not even the top two tiers, until we see it. Jim Harbaugh should help him. I, I'm confident there, and I'm confident that there's still talent here, but we need to see what they do at the running back position. We need to see what wide receiver two looks like. It's difficult to truly draw comparisons because when the last time that we saw Harbaugh ago. was yeah. was a very long time ago and also was with Colin Kaepernick as the starting yeah. quarterback, which Herbert and Colin Kaepernick, very different styles of quarterbacks. So, Derek, what are your thoughts here on, on Justin Herbert going into 2024? I also think there's a lot of roster overhaul that we do not know what to expect, yep. which makes it a little bit tough to project him compared to what we've seen in the past. I, I don't think Kellen Moore is going to be the offensive coordinator. It could be Greg Roman. I mean, it, it could be Greg Roman. We could be looking at maybe one, if not both, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams off this roster, depending on how they, this organization wants to move forward and kind of clean up the books because they kind of shoved their chips to the center this year and it didn't work out. Obviously, they can make some uh, decisions on the defensive side of the football as well, a la Khalil Mack. But yeah, no, no Eckler. I think this offense is just going to look far different than what we've seen in the past. And it's going to be kind of difficult to project. Um, although Herbert is an incredibly talented player and I like the hire of Harbaugh, I just can't definitively say what, like the main cogs in this offense, what it's going to look like around Justin Herbert, which makes it difficult to leave some of the other guys that we've seen success from last season out of this spot and to take over Justin or take Justin Herbert over heading into 2024. Yeah, the the concern too is, you know, with if it is Greg Roman, if it is, you know, Harbaugh has shown a tendency to lean into the run game. So when we're trying to project a, a quarterback forward to get into the top five of fantasy, you know, fantasy rankings, you either need to do it with massive volume, right? You're throwing the Tom Brady effect. You're throwing for 700 plus times a year in Tampa and all that sort of stuff. Like that's how you get into that range. Or you're doing it through a ridiculous touchdown rate and efficiency, right? You're scoring touchdowns and you're, you're throwing touchdowns at a ridiculous rate. That's sort of how you can get into that. I feel like for Herbert going into next year to get into that massive range, I'm, I can't see Harbaugh leaning on Herbert to throw the ball 650, 675, 700 plus times this next year. So I feel like he's got to do it on the back of touchdown totals. And now he can do that because he's Justin Herbert and we have seen the talent level, but I just don't fully confidently believe and buy into that just yet, which I think pushes Herbert a little bit down the board, which is also interesting for his dynasty value moving forward too. We've put Herbert into this 
top five, top six consideration in dynasty rankings. This move potentially could bump him down the board a little bit too. Let's talk about Joe Burrow at quarterback 11 because that seems a little bit jarring to me. Derek, I'm going to throw this to you first. Joe Burrow at quarterback 11 stands out to me. What about you? Definitely stands out a little bit. As much as we're projecting some overhaul and changes and, and a facelift to the organization, I don't see that being the case for the Cincinnati Bengals offense and Joe Burrow. Now, granted, they may lose some of the members of their coaching staff, but ultimately you're still going to have Zach Taylor there. You're still going to have Joe Burrow there. You're still going to have Jamar Chase. We'll have to see what happens with T. Higgins, who is certainly a right. big piece of that passing offense and that Burrow has leaned on. But, you know, we've seen what Burrow can do when he's healthy. and Back-to-back seasons with over 4,500 yards passing and 33 four plus touchdown passes, um, you know, heading into last season, which was injury plagued and, and so on and so forth. So I, I'm willing to give Burrow a pass because we've seen that ceiling more often than not. And I still think that the stability and, and the main pieces are still going to be there. And, and him and Jamar Chase um, arguably is the best quarterback wide receiver tandem in the NFL. So I, I still think Burrow is going to be in my top seven. I can certainly understand with all the other talent at the position, why he's pushed this far down the board because of recency bias, but I, I'm still a big believer in Burrow moving forward. Sapi, I've got Joe Burrow at quarterback eight going on into my way too early quarterback rankings. Explain yourself here with the quarterback 11. We'll give you the opportunity to break it down. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tiering thing here. I think there's a tier one to five quarterbacks and then it's like six to 14 here. So me and you having three spots, me and Derek potentially four or five spots. I think you're talking within the same tier and just shuffling up and dealing in a little bit of a different manner. If T Higgins is out, that that hurts in my opinion. Like you've got an aging running back. You've got some things to fall back on. We didn't love what we saw when he was healthy this year, but healthy was kind of relative. He entered the season banged up. He left the season banged up. So him staying on the field is something we need to track here. Maybe he runs less. And if that's I think he's got fewer paths to greatness. I, I think his floor is reasonable. Putting him in the same conversation as Justin Herbert. I think that makes some sense here. He's got fewer moving pieces like what Derek said. The upside is great. I don't think he has an ups the upside anymore to reach that tier one, that top five for me this year. I don't know where you guys are on your tiers at the quarterback position, but he settles into that tier two. If you want to move him up within that tier, that's fine by me because he's got an alpha receiver. He's proven it. All of that good stuff. It sounds like he's going to be cleared physically in plenty of time for OTAs and all that good stuff. So I'm fine taking an optimistic approach. I'm just going to sit back, see where this Higgins thing plays out. It's January. We've got time to learn, see his rehab, see how this roster forms around him. But yeah, you've got you've got a solid leg to stand on if you want to move him inside the top 10. I have no problem with that. Yeah, I think it comes down to the floor versus the upside conversation where, again, with a lot of the other quarterbacks that we'll talk about here, the upside is overall QB1. And I think for Burrow to be able to not necessarily like get there himself, but to also get there above the rest of the other names and what they can do from a fantasy standpoint, yeah, it's tough. That's, I, that's, I think, the conversation and why he's a little bit further down the board. Tua Tungabailoa at quarterback 10 for you. Trevor Lawrence at quarterback nine is one that I did want to talk about. A QB 14 finish on the year here when we did see, you know, again, context matters where quarterback 14 finish on the year, but we had so many quarterbacks this past year get injured and miss time, which would lend itself to someone like Trevor Lawrence moving his way up the board to a quarterback eight, quarterback nine, where you've got him ranked right now. But yet we're projecting everyone to be healthy for the start of next year. You still got him at quarterback nine. So go ahead and walk through why Lawrence is here at quarterback nine for you. 
Yeah, I mean, everyone to be healthy includes him. Like, he was pretty banged up down the stretch of this season. You're still talking about a pedigree quarterback that's under 25 years old. I I liked what I saw at points. Don't get me wrong. I was way too high on Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars coming into the season. You're not going to get me to stand on that hill. I'm as stubborn as I come. I will not stay on that hill. I was wrong. I was wrong. You heard it here. I, I will admit defeat in that regard. But I think there's still some threads to pull here. Obviously, we know the talent is there. If Calvin Ridley's back, I still think you've got a wide receiver one. Let's not forget he hadn't played football in basically two years and on a new team in a new system. There's a lot of learning curve that could happen there. And then he gets hurt. Trevor Lawrence gets hurt and everything goes to, you know, not the direction we're looking at. But his deep passing numbers from 2023, they all spiked yards per attempt, touchdown rate, pass rating, all those things. Check those boxes. I'm confident he can still get the ball out. Short term, you've got ETN there. You've got Evan Ingram. We'll talk about him later. Zay Jones, Christian Kirk. Like, there's a lot of options in this offense. If they get that wide receiver one production, and I'm going to be back on Kelvin Ridley again in 2024, if that happens, I think Trevor Lawrence moves inside the top 10. If it doesn't, obviously, you can see quarterback 14 or worse. You mentioned the injuries at the quarterback position inflating what was otherwise an underwhelming season that got him at quarterback 14. He's at quarterback 13 on the year here for me going into 2024. So a little bit further down the board. But like you said, it's also these tiers are you mentioned that like once you get past six, it's six to 14. Right. As far as these quarterbacks kind of all falling into that same grouping a little bit further down the board there. I would switch Burrow and uh, and Trevor Lawrence there personally. But in the same conversation, Kyler Murray, Justin Fields at eight and seven there for you, respectively, feels like that is truly the rushing ability and the upside Kyler Murray another year removed from the injury I can get on board with that let's go into that six through one tier for me go ahead and list those out six through one and like I said one through five is a tier so six is six is the top of tier two and that's Dak Prescott Dallas Cowboys Anthony Richardson five Lamar Jackson four Patty Mahomes three Josh Allen two Jalen Hurts numero uno all right Derek Anthony Richardson at five yeah, definitely stands out, catches the eye there. I want to talk through that. What are your initial takeaways when you hear Anthony Richardson at QB five going into 2024? Well, I think it's soppy being consistent with the likes of Kyler Murray, Justin Fields, and a lot of these dual threat options kind of being projected at their ceiling. Yeah. I get it. And Shane Steichen is the offensive mind that I trust the most of the quarterbacks that are ranked there with Fields and Murray I get it. In fact, if you're if you're really trying to project, it's similar somewhere similar in that of like Jalen Hurts, probably yeah. a, a player that's limited as a passer, but dynamic ability when healthy as a runner and dual threat option. Uh, we saw the flashes as a rookie, and he seemed to have that offense operating at a high level. I know it's a small sample size. I get it. It it's just you're projecting him at his ceiling, and there's a lot of. I mean, the floor argument is where we start kind of going in with like. You know, Joe Burrow for me. That that's why I, I Burrow stood out at eleven because of his proven track record and and you know, even Trevor Lawrence, while you saw flashes, we've never seen the consistent floor from Trevor Lawrence throughout his entire NFL career. And I would argue he doesn't have the alpha wide receiver that Joe Burrow does. Um, no. so that's why I personally have you know, Joe Burrow a little bit higher and would, I feel a little bit more comfortable with his floor, but certainly the ceiling makes sense for Anthony Richardson where you have it. Sapi, the one thing that's going to be really, really fascinating to watch is Anthony Richardson's ADP going into next year, right? Because oh, yeah. already, how many games did he play? Five, six, like in that conversation. Parts where, of four. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, there are going to be people that are going to instantly write him off as injury prone already. Right. And it wasn't just that he 
went out after four and a half games or whatever it was. It was also that he dealt with some concussions throughout that and he got banged up and just because of the aggressive running style that we love for fantasy football, but there's the other side of that coin is that he's going to get labeled as injury prone. I don't think you're going to have to draft Anthony Richardson at QB five off the board, right? I don't think that he's going to go there. What are your thoughts there as far as the ADP versus the rankings conversation? Yeah, I think the ADP is going to very much determine how much Anthony Richardson I have. You were driving his bus coming into the year. I know you had him in a lot of two quarterback situations. If I think if football wasn't a year round entity like it is now, I think people would lose track of him. He was hurt in September and it's like, oh, like a rookie athletic profile, yada, yada, yada. I think I don't think he'll go this high. I think he probably gets drafted as a top 10 guy by the end of last draft season. That's about where he was. And you mentioned Jalen Hurts. That's kind of what he is, but without an alpha receiver. And you also mentioned, Derek, the upside and drafting for the upside. I'm more than comfortable doing that at the quarterback position more than any other position on the board. I mean, realistically, you're going to talk about guys like Jared Goff, Deshaun Watson, Jordan Love that are well outside the top 12 for me this year. And that's not because I don't think they're any good. It's because there's 12 freaking really good guys here. CJ Stroud isn't on this list. CJ Stroud had one of the best rookie years ever. If I'm willing to take risk at a position, it's going to be swinging for the fences and a guy like Anthony Richardson, who, like you said, Kyle, might be a league winner at his ADP. And if it falls flat, there's options on the wire. You right. don't get that at the running back position. You don't get that at the wide receiver position. And you sure as hell don't get it at the tight end position. Yeah, that'll be the thing, too, is the ADP and the overall ADP, right? Where there are replacement mm -hmm. options, but also if you're having to draft Anthony Richardson in the fifth or sixth round, then what's yeah, the right. replacement value of what you could get mm -hmm. with a running back or a wide receiver in that range versus then being able to find another option on the waiver wire later on? Soppy did mention it there. CJ Stroud, Jordan Love, not within his top 12. Derek, see, keeping CJ Stroud out of the top 12, man, yeah. I feel like there are going to be people that are going to be yelling at the TV or at their podcast, you know, app or whatever. Talking about uh. CJ Stroud here, not within the top 12. He lands at quarterback nine on the year here for me going into 2024. What are your thoughts here on keeping CJ Stroud and Jordan Love? We'll group them together out of the top yeah, 12. Yeah, I mean, we can even keep going, you know, Brock Purdy finishes the quarterback six. I mean, Jordan Love, quarterback five. Jared Goff, quarterback seven. So, I, and I, it, that's what I'm saying. At least Soppy's being consistent with the way that he's ranking these quarterbacks because he, he you are valuing obviously the the high fantasy floor and potential you know ceiling that you can get yep. if these dual threat quarterbacks are able to stay healthy for an entire year and give you uh, even slightly above average production as a pa as a passer and then obviously they high offer these insanely high floors it's tough though cj stroud looks so darn good and if bobby slowick stays yep. in houston yep big if but yeah i mean it is a big if but i mean we're getting we're starting to run out of head yep. coaching positions right so if he does soppy and he's got nico collins coming back and he's got tank dell coming back and Lord forbid they actually bring in some other players uh, as some other complimentary pass catchers to 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 continue to just raise the ceiling for CJ Stroud. Yeah, I have a hard time leaving him out of my top 12. <laughs> I mean, it all goes together too. Like you go down my quarterback rankings. I get down all the way to Kirk Cousins at quarterback 17, Jared Goff at QB 16, Matthew Stafford at QB 18. Exactly. <laughs> like I'm fine. I'm Reviable. fine with yeah. Ma Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, or Jared Goff as my starting quarterback in fantasy football next year. Like obviously it'll be matchup dependent. I'm not playing them against the Baltimore Ravens defense every single week, but like 
I'm, I'm fine with that. Once you get to Deshaun Watson, Geno Smith, Aaron Rodgers, that's a different conversation where I'm now starting to draw that tier. But that's 18 deep. If you're playing in a 12-team yeah. league, there are more than enough valuable quarterbacks for you where that late-round quarterback draft strategy, it felt like it kind of tailed off here over the past couple years. Feels like it's going to come back in a, you know, just absolutely raging here going into 2024. Let's go over to the tight end position here. It's very, very difficult in yeah. August to have strong opinions on the tight end in position. Week six, it's hard. <laughs> very difficult. So let alone here in January. So if you were watching this podcast and you are like, man, I hope for some strong tight end, you know, opinions here from these guys, you might be disappointed here as we run through these rankings. But let's go ahead and run through it, the landscape here. Uh, Sapi, go ahead, 12 through 7 for me. Oh, we'll get those strong takes coming. Just you wait. But we'll get past the winter before I start offering hot takes on who my tight end eight is. But as far as tight ends, 12 to 7, Dalton Schultz, David Njoku, Dells Goddard tight end 10 for me. Eight or nine is TJ Hawkinson with the injury. Eight, Dalton Kincaid. Seven, Jake Ferguson. I appreciate the unintentional Hamilton uh, reference there of just you wait, Soppy. I don't even know if you know what Hamilton is. I, I, I highly doubt no. it. But I appreciated it. Uh, Derek. David Njoku at 11 stands out to me. I don't know about you, but just the dominant run that he had to end the year. Now, the wrinkle in that conversation is that it was Joe Flacco and Deshaun Watson. Who knows? Are we going to do this again all over again? Like, who knows what version of Deshaun Watson we're going to get in 2024? I feel like we know what version of Deshaun Watson we're going to get at this point of his career. So David Njoku at 11, does that stand out to you? It does. It does. It And it looked like, you know, Kevin Stefanski filtered out the passing offense to try to get him the ball in his hands consistently down the back half of the season. Uh, certainly the volume uh, target share went through the roof. It was actually better as far as his per game splits when Deshaun Watson wasn't under center in 2023, which is odd. But the way Flacco just decided to throw caution to the wind and start, you know, tossing the rock all over the place with, with, with very little regard for whether or not he th turns the ball over. It, it helped inflate those numbers. And, and, but I'm still a believer. Like this is the type of ceiling that we all thought that David Njoku had when he was super young coming out of the university of Miami. Obviously the track record isn't there. And ultimately I think that this team wants to run the football, but Njoku looks like the clear, you know, top option alongside Amari Cooper, kind of 1A, 1B. Um, it just, we don't know which Deshaun Watson we're going to get, which is why I, I understand the the tight end 11 ranking, but I'd rather have him than Dallas Goddard. Yeah. I, you know, obviously TJ Hawkinson is, is volatile because of his injury, but yeah. I have a hard time. Not, I, if I'm getting to Joku at tight end 11, I'm very happy because the, the top five upside was very, very apparent this year. It feels like an absolute lifetime ago that we were talking about David Njoku coming out of Miami and OJ Howard. Um, feels right. like an absolute oh lifetime ago that we were talking about those two coming out of college. Uh, finally, good to see David Njoku live up to the billing here in his feels like 10th NFL season. Uh, let's go into that top six tier here. Uh, Sapi, go ahead and run through six through one for me. Top six and kind of like the quarterback position. I've got a tier one to five and then the rest. Six is Evan Ingram, five, Sam Laporta, four, Trey McBride, three, George Kittle, two, Mark Andrews, number one, Travis Kelsey. Okay, so 
two weeks ago, three weeks ago, if you had said that you had Travis Kelsey at tight end one on the year, I would have said, what in the world are you doing, Soppy? Uh, this not guy is going to then be he has 30, one good game. <laughs> 35 years old. And then, you know, the playoffs happen and it's Travis Kelsey all over again. So I, I understand it. It feels like, again, we have this conversation every year, but until we truly, truly see the drop off and it happens over an extended period of time, you got to keep Travis Kelsey within that top tier. So I'm not faulting you there. Sam Laporta at five, though, is eye catching to me because we have to project at least him taking a step forward. Now, the again, I say this like the wrinkle in this conversation is Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Most likely you guys might even know this at the time that you are listening to this podcast, that Ben Johnson has been named the head coach of the Washington Commanders. That may very well happen. All signs are pointing to that being the case. So who are they going to have as the offensive coordinator next year? Does Jared Goff take a step back underneath that new system and all that sort of stuff? There's a conversation there, but rookie tight ends are not supposed to do what Sam Laporta did here this past year. And we even saw it yesterday in what Laporta did from a production standpoint in that game against the 49ers. Derek, Sam Laporta at five, he's at one. He's at one for me going into next year. So that is a little bit of a difference here as we look at that top tier. What about for you? So I'm, I want to ask Soppy a question. We had mm-hmm. this, you know, sell high, buy low conversation throughout the entirety of the 2023 season, right? And one name that we kept talking about sell high was George Kittle. And sure. who's a tight end that we would target earlier in the year? Sam Laporta's name came up. Mm-hmm. But you have Kittle at three and Laporta at five. I'm, I'm just, do we really see Laporta taking a, enough of a step back and Kittle's consistency as he continues to age, like like Yates already said, this was a rookie who did this last year, a tight end one finish. And I don't I don't see a I can't project a significant drop off. And the, the Niners are still gonna be, I imagine, pretty loaded at the pass catching position. Um, so I just I, I'm kind of I am a little confused why Laporta's all the way at five. That's that's one that's making me scratch my head. It is still tier one for me at the tight end position, but like Yates said, some of the uncertainty here at the quarterback position. Can Jared Goff continue to thrive? If they move on from the offensive coordinator, Does do things change? Sam Laporta had a great season. He thrived when it was Superman Jared Goff. He had nine of his ten touchdowns at home. Like when Jared Goff was great, so was Sam Laporta. I don't have a problem with that. If Jamison Williams takes the next step, if this running game continues to thrive, I'm on Ross St. Brown's going to see 150 targets every year. So there's some concern there. Basically, what this comes down to is my confidence in the quarterback, quite frankly. You've got Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle. I trust their quarterbacks all more than I do McBride or Laporta at this point in the season. And that's just, that's where I'm at. He's tier one. Like, there's no two ways about it. Rookie records across the board. Led the position in third down targets. He's clearly a staple in this offense. I just, we may have seen a version of his ceiling. I'm expecting regression more than growth, I guess, is where we differ here. Did you think Brock Purdy outplayed Jared Goff yesterday? No, no, no. If I trust, who do you, who do you trust more for 2024? Oh, I, I, I trust I trust I trust Goff is going to continue. We've seen a baseline of production from him. And I think I trust Purdy too. I just think That's that there's saying. fewer fewer mouths to feed if 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 we're gonna get a returning ensemble, a similar cast of characters for both of these offenses. I think Laporta's higher up in the pecking order of the the Lions passing game than agree. the 49ers and Kittle and the Niners don't throw the ball a whole ton. I mean, they're just a highly efficient offense. Right. And Purdy was, you know, obviously a, a poster boy for efficiency this year. Mm-hmm. But 
I just, I feel like the volume is going to be higher. I think Laporta continues to take a step up. He's an ascending talent. Kittle's still going to be very, 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 very good. I, I just think Laporta's kind of already shown us what he is. And I think he's just going to get, continue to get better and better. The Ben Johnson thing, that's the one thing that, you know, does make a little bit of sense. I just don't think it's enough to drop him from tight end one all the way to tight end five. Yeah. I, yeah. I was, go ahead. I was just going to say the, the other part of it too, is that, you know, we look at the San Francisco receiving core and you can say, okay, well, it's pretty maxed out. Like they're not going to go out big name hunting in free agency. They might add a player in the NFL draft in the, third, fourth, fifth round. And and with this wide receiver class, that may end up being a pretty damn good football player, but not going to be an impact where they're going to take away targets from Kittle, IU, Debo Samuel. In Detroit, the conversation could be they have the cap space where they could go after a free agent wide receiver. They could be looking at adding another skill position player there to replace you know, Khalif Raymond, Josh Reynolds, and, you know, maybe Jamison Williams is now moved into this like hybrid role where he can't take this massive step forward, though he did show signs here yesterday. So I think that is the other potential wrinkle in all this. But yet at the same time, like I, I think you do have to account for this was a rookie tight end and he's going to only continue to get better from here based on what we have seen historically. So thinking about Sam Laporta getting better is a scary, scary thought. The the other one that I'll just point out here really quick that's very exciting is Trey McBride. Trey McBride oh, right. at tight end four. Yeah. I'm going to have a very difficult time next year not pulling the trigger on Trey McBride and like the and letting that ADP get away from me, you know, and just like and following it as it continues to climb because I guarantee that's going to be something. As we get into the preseason, Trey McBride starts to make plays in the preseason and stuff like that. That ADP is going to climb and he could be tight end two off the board and that's going to be very difficult not to chase here. The talent level is just absolutely insane here. We'll see what happens in Arizona. Uh, two players that did stand out to me that I did want to talk about not within this top 12 before we wrap up the show. Cole Komet. I... <clears throat> We talked about DJ Moore on the wide receiver podcast, and it's like it, there's so many variables here. We saw the production with Justin Fields, and we saw Cole Komet producing, but yet at the same time, like there is, you know, you can upgrade over Darnell Mooney. They've got the cap space. They can go get a big name wide receiver. They can add other options here to this offense where Komet's going to be this touchdown or bust option. Kyle Pitts, though, with the hire of Zach Robinson, is the one that Sapi, I'll come back to you because you just put out here earlier this morning. Fantasy impact of the Zach Robinson hire for uh, the Atlanta offensive coordinator underneath Raheem Morris. So what are your thoughts here on Kyle Pitts potentially having a bounce back because he did not make the top 12 of your tight end rankings? He didn't, but he's not far. He's not far. He was getting open downfield. He led the position in Ada and an offense that didn't want to throw the ball. Didn't want to throw it downfield. At least they didn't want to do that. And he was still earning targets at that level. Fourth highest ADOT by a tight end over the last decade. The names ahead of him are Gronk and Jared Cook. Jared Cook, whatever. But Gronk is the other name ahead of him, and he's up there twice. So an 11.4 ADOT for me, Kyle Pitts, is still very much the physical profile and everything that we fell in love with when he entered the league. A thousand yards as a rookie. Everybody knows that. So yeah, I think he's definitely trending up. At the end of my 12, you've got guys like David Njoku who proved it a little more last season. So I need a little bit more proof of concept other than assuming change is going to just vault you into into my top 10, top 12. But I do think that there's going to be a buying opportunity because there's a lot of scar tissue from anybody that drafted Kyle Pitts over the last year and a half. Anybody that's there probably isn't re-upping. So 
it cost. I'm very interested in Kyle Pitts. I'm just not going to elevate him quite in the ranks yet. It, that could change in August as this offense comes together and we start seeing some things. I do think Atlanta has a lot to like in 2024. I was just about to say that there is going there is a buy opportunity right now across the board Ooh, yeah. in every format for Kyle Pitts and especially I think going into next year from a redraft perspective. Derek, what are your thoughts on Kyle Pitts going into next year? Look, I, Kyle Pitts has the prospect profile and we've seen the flashes all the way back to his rookie season. I, if, if somebody gets their hands on him and it has the right proper way to be able to scheme him open and he's healthy, then yeah, he should, he he's easily a top 10 fantasy tight end. Um, and his ceiling is as high as anybody in the NFL because he's that gifted of a pass catching prospect. Um, I did want to bring up one other name that I thought played pretty well in the postseason, Kate Otten. Um, Eight catches, 89 yards, I believe it was, against the Detroit Lions. I think he had, or no, that was against the Philadelphia Eagles. Five for 65 and a score against the Detroit Lions. You know, if the Buccaneers bring back Baker Mayfield and their cap situation is a little bit interesting, we don't know if they're going to bring back Mike Evans, they're going to be able to resign him or not. Um, that's a lot of targets that could be vacated. And we don't, maybe there's a potential for moving Chris Godwin too. Kate Otten really flashed. At moments throughout the regular season, and I thought he played very well in the postseason despite a couple drops, Kate Otten's another guy that could sneak into my top 12 uh, depending on what moves take place uh, in 2024 offseason. Yeah, I love the call with Kate Otten. I had him as a deep sleeper going into this year. I absolutely love the talent, loved him coming out of Washington as well. So you see the talent level, you see the ability. I think people are going to continue to sleep on Kate Otten, though, because he's not this flashy player. He's not going to make the big time plays that a Kyle Pitts does or, you know, these deep downfield, but just a chain mover, consistent, going to catch pretty much everything thrown his way. I feel like that's what Otten brings to the table. And in that top 15, top 12 conversation at the back end of that, that has value. I don't think he's going to go anywhere off the near that right. off the board, though. No. So could be a deep sleeper to remember going into next year. Kyle Pitts, too, just to wrap up that conversation. 23 years old still like we it's the it's insane we we've already made so many excuses for Kyle Pitts and granted they are valid excuses for the situation that he has been in but yeah. you mentioned it Soppy the scar tissue that is surrounding Pitts from a fantasy perspective already the kid's only 23 years old still and we've got you know just another 10 years of fantastic production or at least the allure of fantastic production right. for Kyle Pitts we'll see what they do at the quarterback position too that'll play a big role in what they do here going into next year all right quarterback tight end rankings I thought we were going to run about 20 minutes on this podcast because that was just going to be the nature of this discussion we end up going over 40 here taking a look at the early quarterback and tight end rankings here Fellas, we talked a little bit about Conference Championship Sunday at the beginning of the show. Let's wrap it up here now that we know, because this is going to be the final show that the three of us are on until after the Super Bowl, as I will be in Vegas next week. So, Super Bowl predictions here. 49ers oh, versus the Chiefs. Sapi, I'll send it to you first. Yeah, not putting us on the spot or anything here. Um, I'm going to go... I'll, I'll fade the fade all the narratives. Patrick Mahomes, 10-1-1 as an underdog in his career. Give me 10-2-1. 49ers win by a field goal at the end. Brock Purdy over Patrick Mahomes. We will never hear the end of that. Derek, 49ers versus the Chiefs Super Bowl prediction. Where are you going? I've learned my lesson betting against Patrick Mahomes. I thought the troubles they had all year on the offensive side of the ball, the struggles with the receiving core holding on to the football, Travis Kelsey looking like father's times tapping him on the shoulder. I, I, I thought this could be the year Josh Allen gets past him. I thought that this was the year Lamar Jackson would get past him. And 
Patrick Mahomes has been the best player on the football field the entire postseason, uh, no matter who's on the other side of the football and who they're facing. While this 49ers defense has a ton of talent, they're not playing to it. And the way Patrick Mahomes is playing, I expect him to make far fewer mistakes than Brock Purdy on the biggest stage of them all. I do think it's the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they win by 10 points pretty comfortably um, over the San Francisco 49ers. I will go with Chiefs here as well. Give me the quarterback, but I think the or the the tie in the quarterback conversation can be the uh, give me Patrick Mahomes there over Brock Purdy. But I think the big part of it, too, is the Chiefs defense. This Chiefs defense is just playing at a lights out level. So I think that they are going to be able to stifle and make life difficult for Purdy here in the Super Bowl. Give me Chiefs over the 49ers. All right, that'll do it here for this episode. Make sure to go over to PFNFantasy.com for all of the written content that we are pumping out here. And we've got a ton of it coming your way here throughout the offseason. and do not go anywhere. All right, for Kyle Soppy and Derek Tate, I'm Kyle Yates. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time.